Thanks, Joe. So thanks for being here, y'all. Good morning. I want to share just a few things uh, pastorally with you. I want to thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I want to thank all of you who are worshiping with us online. Thank you for choosing to participate with us in worship, to gather, to hear God's word, to hear singing, to join your voices with ours. Can, can I just admit, the last few weeks, it seems as if, if you're watching the news, there's, there's more stress, there's more strain, there's more fear uh, in our community. There's more people who've contracted COVID over the past few weeks than uh, even in the height of um, the transmission of, of COVID a year ago. And uh, it would be very, very natural to have your fear factor go up in the face of that. And so I want to thank you. You've chosen to worship here with us today. You've chosen to worship with us online. And we're so glad to be able to provide both opportunities to you. I'd invite you just pastorally, please pray for our community. Pray for people at, at Flagler and Mayo and Baptist South who are, who are working really, really hard right now. And pray for students and teachers as they go back to school. That's going to be a stressful time for folks. A lot of parents are anxious about what's going to happen when their kids go back to school. Let's be sensitive to that and do what we can, which is, which is pray and come alongside folks. And, and listen... As your pastor, can I just remind you of just some basic things? Number one, if you're sick, don't come to church, okay? Don't go to small group. And if you think that you have contracted COVID or something else and you're not symptomatic, hey, love one another by choosing until you know for certain to not gather in fellowship with others. But listen... Let's not forsake our assembling together, okay? Why? Because the gospel is on the move. Jesus Christ is moving in the world, seeking and saving lost people. Why are we willing to gather together even in the midst of a global pandemic because we believe the dangers of not being together are greater than the dangers of being together. When we are together, amazing things happen. These life rings represent seven different people who over the past few weeks have made professions of faith because of the faithful witness of you, our members. Let me tell you one story. A member of our church flew to Pennsylvania to see his brother. His brother is not a believer. He went to see his brother. And in the course of their driving from the airport to their home in Pennsylvania, they stopped at the grave of his mother. And our friend said, hey, don't you think mom would want us both to be with her? in heaven. And that led to a conversation that gave him the opportunity to share his faith in Jesus Christ and his brother professed faith in Christ. And now we have the sure and certain hope that they will be together in heaven. That's one story of these seven life rings. Aren't you glad the gospel is moving and growing? 
Joe was up here a few moments ago. Two of those life rings are students who made professions of faith at Passion a few weeks ago. Did people contract COVID at Passion? Yes. But more important than that, Jesus was on the move, seeking and saving the lost. Oh, man. We're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, I'm going to read um, from 17 through 22, the end of the chapter. And listen, you're going to hear things in this that are confusing. It's okay. We're going to come back and walk back through it verse by verse. But let me just read all the verses uh, before we start. 1 Peter 3. Starting in chapter, uh, verse 17. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For in Christ, for Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, Baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. The word of God. Now, do you have a Spanish station on your television? Telemundo, or maybe ESPN Deportes. You have a Spanish station and you're not a Spanish speaker. Imagine turning to that Spanish station. You're not a Spanish speaker. You turn to that Spanish station and you watch a soccer game or a football game. You're watching the game. You know what's happening on the field. You understand soccer, but you don't understand a word of what the announcer is saying until what happens when there's a goal. When there's a goal, you know exactly what happened on the field and you know exactly what the announcer is saying. Goal! We come to this passage, and as you're reading through this passage, there's a lot in this passage that you may not understand. And there is a lot in this passage that is difficult to understand. But don't miss the goal. Don't miss the lead. Jesus Christ has won the victory over sin and death and hell. The truth, the point of this passage is the gospel. And this morning, what I want you to learn from this passage is that the gospel is a worldview. It's a way of seeing all of life. So now, let's walk back through this passage more slowly, verse by verse, and let's 
see first what is the truth that this passage is teaching us, the gospel, the beautiful gospel. And then second, let's learn from this passage how to use the gospel the way Peter uses the gospel, as a worldview to understand and interpret all of life. Okay? So, verse 17. For it is better, if God should will it, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. So, the beautiful gospel invites us to believe the truth. That though suffering is a part of the Christian's life, in fact, suffering is a part of everyone's life, though suffering is a part of life, there is a truth that the Christian has discovered in the gospel that at the center of my life is a good father who cares about every area of my life. And he is unfolding his purposes and his plans for a reason. He has a will and he's working out his will. And nothing comes into our lives apart from the good will of our good father. And nothing comes into our lives that's not carried by the scar-marked hands of our Savior. And nothing, if you're a Christian, nothing comes into your life without the Holy Spirit giving you the desire and the power to be able to be sustained through suffering. The reality of suffering is the context of this passage. It's the context of this book. The church of Jesus is not immune from suffering. But we're not alone in it. We have a good father, a faithful savior, and a present Holy Spirit. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive In the spirit. This is the heart of the beautiful gospel. This is the heart of God's good news for the nations. That Jesus Christ has brought reconciliation by becoming our substitute. The heart of the gospel is reconciliation through substitution. What does that mean? A few years ago, Robert Duvall and Robert Downey Jr. came out with a film entitled The Judge. And it told the story of a father and a son who were estranged. The father was the judge. And that was Robert Duvall. His son was Robert Downey Jr. And his son had become a very successful attorney in Chicago. But he comes back to his small hometown in Indiana for his dad's birthday in an effort to to try and reconcile with his father. 
While he's there, his father is arrested and eventually put on trial for committing the crime of murder by hit and run. And the person that he had murdered was a man whom the judge had, the judge had at one time given this man a, a very light sentence for a very bad crime. And when the man received that light sentence in return for the light sentence, when he got out very, very quickly from this punishment, he immediately went and he murdered the very same person. And the judge, after years, this man gets out of prison This young man had received a light sentence, then committed a great crime, then he served his time, he gets out, and apparently the judge has now hit him with his car and killed him. In the course of the trial, at the very end, Robert Downey Jr., who is serving as his dad's defense attorney, is talking to his dad. His dad is on the stand, and he says, Dad, you're the harshest judge in all of Indiana. You give the most severe judgments. You always exact the the greatest penalty possible. Why, why, why did you give such a light sentence the first time this man stood before your court? Robert Duvall looked at his son, Robert Downey Jr., in the story, and he says this. When I looked at him, I saw you. Robert Downey Jr. is really taken aback by that. He says, Dad, I have memories of us. I have memories of us spending time together. I have memories of us going fishing together. I have have good memories of us together. And then I don't. What happened? He said, when I look at you, I saw him. The gospel is this. God the Father looked upon the Son. And when he saw the Son, he saw your sin and my sin. And on the cross, Jesus Christ died two deaths. The first death he died was the eternal death. The punishment due us for our sin is the separation of us, body and soul, from God and everything good. And on the cross, the just one, Jesus, had all of our sin laid upon him. And when God saw him, he saw our sin. He saw us. And Jesus Christ was cut off. And he cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus died the eternal death. We deserve to die. And the Father turned away from the Son as Jesus paid the full and awful penalty that our sins deserve. And then Jesus on the cross made his final statement, into your hands I commit my spirit. And this is the second death. Jesus Christ experienced the separation of body and spirit. 
The punishment that reconciled us, the punishment that made us right with God had been paid by Jesus on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so when Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit, at that moment he experienced death. The death we all will experience, the separation of our bodies and spirits. And at that moment, Jesus' spirit immediately went to the Father. And his body, though dead, was laid in a grave, as ours too will be. But Jesus' spirit didn't go to heaven alone. He took a thief's spirit with him. Just as he promised he would, today you will be with me in paradise. And so he did. And so he will for any of you who turn from your sin and trust in him alone for salvation as he's offered to you in the beautiful gospel. Do not pay the penalty for your sin in the separation of your life, body and spirit from God and everything good in hell forever. Instead, entrust yourself to the faithful one, Jesus The just one, Jesus, who was willing to pay that penalty in your place. So that you will not have to pay the penalty of the second death. Death will come for all of us. The separation of our spirits and our bodies. But the second death only has to come to those who do not put their trust in Jesus. Put your trust in in Jesus. Verse 19, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now, there are a variety of positions regarding these two verses and what they mean. One that's commonly held by many, many people who love God and love the Bible the same way I do is this, that in the period of time after Jesus' spirit was released from his body and committed to the Father in that transition from this world to the heavenly world, Jesus proved his power and proclaimed to all the unseen spirits, some of whom are held in prison because of their sin and their disobedience, and he was vindicated in his glory as the one who has paid the penalty for sin. And that could be. There are others who believe that this passage, and this is what I believe as well, is that this passage is telling us that the beautiful gospel isn't something that we just begin to learn about in Matthew chapter 1. The beautiful gospel is the one story of the whole Bible. And Jesus Christ didn't come into existence 
the moment he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. No, the second person of the Trinity has an eternal spirit. And by that same eternal spirit, the one beautiful gospel was being proclaimed even in the days of Noah. And so the spirits who are in prison are those persons who in the days of Noah heard the gospel and refused to believe it. And so they are now held in prison, separated from God, awaiting the resurrection of their bodies and the final judgment. Jesus Christ in the days of Noah, was preaching through Noah. He was preaching a salvation by grace through faith. He was preaching righteousness that could be credited. That's why in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Noah is called a preacher of righteousness because he was preaching the gospel and Jesus was calling people to follow him and Jesus was pictured as the one way of escape from the judgment. What was the judgment? When the waters of judgment covered the earth, but one way of escape was found in an ark. But only eight, Noah and his family, only eight found the way of escape. But everyone heard the preacher of righteousness say, Come, come, come. And today the gospel is preached and we say, Come, come to Jesus. Come to the way of escape. Okay, verse 20. Sorry, verse 21. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what is baptism? Baptism is a sign, a visible sign of an invisible spiritual reality. In baptism, what is the sign? Water. And what's the spiritual reality? The unseen spiritual reality is our union with Jesus, our union with Jesus that brings forgiveness of sin and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. What's pictured in Noah's journey through the waters in the ark is what's pictured in our baptism. That just as Noah was in the ark, in baptism, we're joined in Christ. You're either in Christ or in your sin. If you're in Christ, you're safe. If you're in your sin, you're sunk. That's what's pictured in the story of Noah and the flood. When we're baptized, and everyone who puts their trust in Jesus should be baptized. When we're baptized... We're not saved through our baptism, but what we have by faith, the righteousness of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, is pictured and made more real to us through baptism so that what signified forgiveness of sin, righteousness, union with Christ, is seen in this baptismal 
washing. The pouring of water on the head of a believer. The pouring of water on a covenant child of a believing parent. Symbolizing the fact that our hope is not in ourselves but in Christ. And our desire is for our child and for us to be joined to Christ in his church so that they can hear the gospel and we can hear the gospel. And our joining to Christ can be strengthened through faith all through our life. Now listen, let me remind you, if I've been speaking Spanish the whole time, okay, don't forget the goal, the beautiful gospel is that Jesus has brought reconciliation through substitution. Don't bury the lead. Now, I have to try and explain all the other verses, but the beautiful gospel is so simple. Jesus paid the penalty you deserve so that you could have what he has earned, and you don't deserve it, but you get it by grace. That's really good news. Now, one more verse, verse 21. Verse 22, what is the, who, where is this Jesus now? Who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him? Now I want you to know, some of the suffering, but not all, but some of the suffering that the church experiences in this world comes because the unseen evil powers that hate God and hate his people will do anything they can to discourage and defeat and distract God's people from their primary task of getting the gospel to the nations. Some, not all, but some of the suffering we experience is at the direct hand of powers and authorities that we cannot see. And if you can't see them, how can you have any hope of victory against them? And verse 22 gives you the answer. The way you can have hope and confidence in defeating spiritual powers and authorities that you can't see is because Jesus has already defeated them for you. And he has been vindicated through his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to the throne, Jesus has won the victory over all powers, all authorities, visible and invisible. So you, church, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is strong and powerful and he can and will help you in the midst of the fight. Whether that fight is against those things that we can see or that fight is against those things that we cannot see. Jesus wins the victory. Now, that's the beautiful gospel according to 1 Peter 3, 17 through 22. Now, what do we do with it? I mean, that's, that's really good truth. I mean, I'm mildly encouraged by that. I sense that you're somewhat excited about it, Pastor Dave. But what difference should it make in my life? Tomorrow, what difference can it make? Well, we can learn from Peter. 
we can learn from Peter how to see all of life through a biblical Christian gospel worldview. Now, you've been watching the Olympics. Been watching the Olympics? Anyone been watching the Olympics? Okay, it's been fun. If you've been watching the Olympics, you've seen 35, 45, 75 times the commercial for Ryan Reynolds' new movie, Free Guy. Okay, what happens in that movie? I think I've seen the movie now. I've seen the commercial so many times, I'm pretty sure I don't have to go see the movie. I'm generally entertained by Ryan Reynolds' movies, but in this movie, apparently, Ryan Reynolds' character, Guy, is a bank teller, and he's what's called a non-playing character in a video game, and he has no idea until one day someone brings him glasses. And when he puts on the glasses, all of a sudden, he can see the video game. He can see all the power level ups. He can see all the stuff and he realizes he can't die. So he starts playing the game, not as a non-playing character, but as a character in the game. And it's the same for you and me. When we put on our gospel glasses, when we put on the glasses of a biblical gospel worldview, we can live like Peter. Peter is looking at his friends. He's looking at the church, and he loves them. He loves the church, and he sees them suffering. He says, oh, what can I do? And he reaches back. He reaches back in his biblical gospel worldview. He reaches back to the question, where did we come from? And his answer, we came from God. God is ultimately sovereign over all things. If you're suffering, church, oh, know this. It's because God wills it. You say, I don't like that. If God is all-loving and all-powerful, then why wouldn't he choose for me not to suffer? I don't know. But I know this. Is it possible? This won't get you all the way home. This won't get you all the way home, but it'll be a step. Is it possible that if God is all-loving, and he is all-powerful, and he is all-wise, is it possible that maybe the God who made all things has information and wisdom and a plan that you don't know about, but he does? Is it possible? And if it's possible, then would that enable you to take a step toward him even in the midst of your suffering? Because the answer to the first question in a gospel worldview, where we came from, is we came from God. And if we came from God, if we're made by him, then we can reach back and trust him that his will is being accomplished and it is unfolding. Now, the second question Peter has is, what went wrong? And Peter knows what went wrong. What went wrong is sin. That's why he says Christ died for sins. He didn't die to leave us an example of self-sacrificing love. 
Now, it was an act of self-sacrificing love, but he didn't go to the cross to show us how to live our life. He went to the cross to pay for the penalty for the way we had lived our life. What's gone wrong with the world? What's fouled up about the world? Put on your gospel glasses. The answer is sin. What can fix it? What can fix this sin-scarred, broken world? Jesus Christ, through his sacrificial work on the cross, the just for the unjust, he has fixed it, and he is fixing it now. How do I know? The greatest evidence of the redemption that Jesus Christ has accomplished, the greatest evidence for the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross, according to Peter, is the resurrection. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Now, where did Peter learn it? He learned it as an eyewitness. And within the reading of this book by the first people to receive it, Peter would hang on a cross upside down in Rome in the first great persecution of Christians by Nero. And if he was ever going to change his mind about the eyewitness, if he was ever going to say, no, I'm sorry, I was just kidding, that would have been a good time. But he didn't. This is eyewitness testimony of someone who has seen the risen Jesus. How can we be strengthened in our faith? Our faith doesn't rest in opinion. It rests in eyewitness historical testimony. The gospel glasses, they tell us where we came from, what went wrong, how can God fix it? Where are we going? What happens next? Jesus Christ has gone into heaven, and one day he'll come again and we'll be with him. I was going to read from Lord of the Rings earlier. I thought maybe, okay, I won't. It's, we're running out of time. I just can't help myself. It's so good. Now, at the end of Lord of the Rings, the movie completely fouls this up, except for one part, Gandalf's laughter. The actor who laughs at the end of Lord of the Rings does an amazing job. But at the end, Gandalf is speaking to Sam. And he says this. Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. And ev is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf, and then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. But he himself burst into tears. Then as a, sweet, as a sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring and the sun will shine out, of the clear, all, out the clearer, his tears ceased. 
and his laughter welled up. And laughing, he sprung from his bed. How do I feel? Well, I don't know how to say it. I, I feel, I feel, he waved his arms in the air. I feel like spring after winter and sun on the leaves and like trumpets and harps and all the songs I have ever heard. He stopped and he turned toward his master. But how's Frodo? Isn't it a shame about his poor hand? I, I hope he's all right. Yes, I'm all right otherwise, said Frodo, sitting up and laughing in his turn. I fell asleep again waiting for you, Sam, you sleepyhead. I was awake early this morning, and now it must be nearly noon. Noon? Noon of what day? The 14th of the new year, said Gandalf, or if you like, the 8th day of April in the Shire Reckoning. But in Gondor, the new year will always now begin upon the 25th of March when Sauron fell. And when you were brought out of the fire to the king, he has tended you, and now he awaits you. You shall eat and drink with him. When you are ready, I will lead you to him. The king, what king, and who is he? The king of Gondor, the lord of the western land, said Gandalf, and he has taken back all his ancient realm. He will ride soon to his crowning, but he waits for you. Brothers and sisters, your king, Jesus Christ, has won his crown, and he awaits you. One day soon, he will come for you, and everything sad will come untrue, and you will hear laughter, and even in your tears, laughter and joy will well up within you. That is the beautiful gospel. Where did we come from? God, where are we? What went wrong? Sin. What can be done to fix it? Jesus, where are we going? A new earth where Jesus will reign and reign and reign and we will have unspeakable joys with him. That is a beautiful gospel. And that is a beautiful worldview to have. And so when you meet people and you meet circumstances, begin to learn to say first. When you face a circumstance, ask yourself the question, where's this coming from? Where did I come from? And the answer is, Everything's happening through the will of my good Father by the hands of my sin-scarred, the hands of my scarred Savior, and with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to give me the strength I need to stand up. What's gone wrong with the world? I've gone wrong with the world. My sin and all the sin of the world and rebellion against God, that's what's gone wrong. Oh, what can be done? Jesus has done it all. Where are we going? Oh, I have hope. I have hope. Do you? I have hope that my king, King Jesus, will not leave me here by myself. Now, when you meet someone and their life is falling apart, ask them, where do you think we came from? What do you think's gone wrong? How, how can we fix it? 
And what do you think happens next? Let's pray. Jesus, help us. Help us to hear the laughter of heaven. Help us to hear the joy of heaven. Help us to hear the music of the gospel. Holy Spirit, would you speak in every heart in this room and everyone watching online and and those who will hear this message in the days and weeks and months ahead online, would you, Holy Spirit, search hearts now? Would you speak? Speak words of encouragement and comfort to your church. Speak words of hope to defeated and anxious and fearful followers of Jesus, just as you did through Peter. Speak, Holy Spirit, draw people to Jesus in saving faith. If if you're here, you're watching online or listening, and and you've never put your trust in Jesus, but you sense now the, the Spirit drawing you to believe on Jesus, then won't you admit, Jesus, I admit I've sinned against you in many ways. I am sorry. I turn from my sin. I trust in you. I believe that you died on the cross, the just for the unjust, to bring me to God. You rose from the dead to prove it was true. Jesus, as Savior and Lord, come into my life and help me become the person you want me to be. And Father, I love these people, and we love this community, and we pray that you would send us into the world this week as those who are able to see clearly in the gospel so that we could go to friends and family and and ask questions to understand what would draw them, what would invite them, what would win them towards faith in Jesus. Oh, go with us, Holy Spirit, help us, we pray. 